If green is your favorite color or your way of living, then Grounded is the place for you. From big environmental solutions to your own backyard, wherever in the universe you may be, join me, Melanie Walker, on a journey to a cleaner, greener life. Grounded, your window on the environment. And welcome to another wonderful episode of everything that comes to do with the environment. And of course, this is Grounded. I'm Melanie Walker. And joining me remotely from somewhere down in the Western Cape, we have Misha Teasdale from Green Pop. And Green Pop is one of the things which I, I can't even remember how many years ago, we will find out from Misha how many years ago exactly, um, that I thought this is something that everybody should be getting behind. This is about the environment, it's about trees, and it's about making sure of the quality of life that we and our future generations will experience because trees are something that we need all the time. Misha, thank you very much for joining us. Where are you at the moment? <laughs> I'm in the leafy uh, village of Grayton in the Western Cape, I'm feeling very privileged to be out here. That's a wonderful place to be. I mean, that. That's kind of like right out in the middle of nowhere, though, compared to what people would think if you need to do something like this, if you're going to be connecting worldwide, you'd want to be in one of the big urban centers. Why the move to Grayton? So at the beginning of lockdown, um, we were living in a relatively small apartment in Seapoint, which was lovely. And uh, Seapoint's a beautiful place to live. But we have a two and a half year old son and he literally goes crazy if he's not out of the door by 7 a.m. Um, and the thought of having the restriction of not being able to have a garden and space to move around and we were pretty certain was going to do someone uh, psychological damage in our family. So we thought, let's take a risk. Um, let's pack up all our personal belongings and um, go and stay with a friend for a little while. And we did that for three months and then realized that actually this is for us, let's do it for a little bit longer. Yeah, we've worked out that working remotely and doing the work that we do is very possible. Um, I do head into Cape Town um, every two weeks or so, either myself or, or my wife and my partner in Green Pop. Um, and so we get a little bit of city time in and connecting with our team, partners, etc. But for the most part, everything's online, everything's digital and it's easy enough to get things going. Well, that's fantastic. No, okay, so let's go back to the very beginning. When did you come up with the idea of Green Pop? What was it all about? And why did you decide to get involved with this? So Green Pop has been quite the adventure. And it really just started off as being a campaign idea. Um, I had been privileged enough to do a big production job for Volkswagen AG, so Volkswagen out of Germany. I was working with a friend of mine, Roan, and we were flying around the world doing a documentary on football development, which was kind of one of Volkswagen's marketing agendas. And at the back end of it, we'd land up flying 360,000 kilometers. We wanted to do something about our carbon footprint. And so we decided to plant a thousand trees. Yeah, I suppose we, living in Cape Town, you're it's quite evident how divided the leafy suburbs are from the not so leafy suburbs. Um, and I had spent quite a lot of time volunteering when I was in my early 20s and before, and was quite aware of the difference, the adversity of, of these types of landscapes. And when we got back from this trip, we just felt like what a great way to compensate for our environmental footprint by planting trees um hopefully offsetting some carbon to doing that 
and also inspiring young people to get their hands in the soil. And so we decided we were going to host a month-long campaign called Green Pop. And the idea would be to um, invite all people from around the Western Cape to come and join us and help us plant these trees and in a way bring Arbor Month back. And so we started this campaign and we did all sorts of fun activations. We uh, set up little parklets um, on top of Long Street and we went to markets and pretty much all over and inspired people to both sign up as volunteers and to support us through donating a, a tree at 50 Rand a tree. And on the 1st of September, we planted our first tree, which is Arbor Day in South Africa. Took us about five hours to plant four trees that day uh, with no idea what we were doing. Didn't own a spade or a bucket or, you know, there was literally zero experience. And a month later, we planted our thousandth tree with Woolworths. We had 250 of their staff come out that day and we planted 300 trees. And you know, I suppose the rest one could say is history, but it's been a hell of a lot of work. Mm -hmm. It's been quite the journey and it's got us to a place of now really feeling like we are, we're on the cusp of something. You know, the, the whole world is very much waking up to the fact that if we do not support um, functionality of ecosystems, if we not start restoring our degraded landscapes, we're going to have big problems. And one of the best ways that we can mitigate the worst effects of climate change, and one of the best ways that we can um, reduce species loss, and the, the plethora of the challenges that we're seeing today is through functional ecosystems, is through nature spaces that are thriving mm. and that's what we really need to be doing is, is seeing that as a, a massive priority yeah so it's been 10 years now we planted 130,000 odd trees south africa zambia malawi tanzania we've got multiple programs we're doing at the moment which is very fun and a lot of work but yeah i wake up inspired every other day my task list never seems to get shorter <laughs> my inbox never seems to dry up and yeah i generally feel like i'm in the right place and the work that we're doing is is very necessary very needed and very much appreciated a lot of the time which is great I think that, I mean, you, you've got an aim of planting 500,000 trees, okay, which will not only restore degraded forest areas, but it'll also increase the biodiversity, um, expand ecosystem services across sub-Saharan Africa. Now, do you find that there's probably a bigger problem in Africa than the rest of the world when it comes to trees being cut down and used as firewood and nothing being replaced? I'm not a scientist, and so I don't necessarily have the facts for you. I can say that from a carbon perspective, Africa is negligible. I think 4% of global carbon budget is being consumed or spent by our continent. So it's very much negligible on a fossil fuel basis. We do have a lot of fragile ecosystems. We do have a huge amount of extraction that's happening both by local governments and by the global north extracting for both minerals and um, resources like hardwoods. And then in some places where urbanization is increasing rapidly and where farming practices, which potentially in the past were fine, they were sustainable, you know, you could cut down a forest, you could plant vegetables. And because people moved slowly through the landscape, 
those forest systems were able to replenish themselves. Now, because we've got a bigger population growth, um, there's more pressure on the landscapes. There's more um, variable weather systems. The climate is hotter and drier. It definitely is exhausting the natural resources that we've got. Um, so that does pose to be a challenge, um, particularly within uh, the tropics um, where we have our rainforests um, on the continent. Those areas are under threat through unsustainable agriculture and mining exploration, civil war conflict, that kind of thing. So there definitely is pressure out there. Um, and I don't assume to know all the answers. Uh, I think it's a complex issue and there's a lot of role players. Um, and I think it's also difficult when you, when you look at the global north and you say, well, look, they've had this development journey and we need to have some sort of equity conversation around. We still need to get there. We still need the roads. We still need uh, the hospitals. We, we need access to materials in order to get our common population of the, the continent up to a place of all having access to, to all the necessary facilities. Oh, in South Africa itself, where are the places that you've been concentrating on? Where have you found that there's been more deforestation than in other parts of the country? Bearing in mind, of course, that a lot of the country didn't have like big trees all over the place. I mean, if you just take the high felt into account, yeah. there weren't that many kind of, there were scrub trees and bush felt trees. But I mean, obviously now with um, places like Johannesburg, which is one of the largest urban forests, although we're, we're losing those at a, a rate of knots because of the shot hole borer, and mm. also trees are getting older. But wh where are the other areas where you know, it has been deforested by men, not just because of nature? So the key areas that we are focused on, which is not to say that's the only areas where we sh could be or should be focused on, but it's just where um, the alignment has worked well, is the coastal forests um, within the Western Cape. Um, so that includes um, the Southern Cape region and the Garden Route, where there's been a considerable amount of plantation forests that have cleared over the last few hundred years. Nisner, obviously, was a big export place for wood. Uh, there were shipyards, etc. there. Um, and once the, the trees and the forests in the Greater Cape area were exhausted, a lot of the colonial powers shifted their energy up to uh, the Southern Cape. And then in the Overstrand region, there are pockets of forest, coastal thickets, um, etc., that have been removed from non-sustainable agriculture. And there, I wouldn't say it's massive regions. You know, they, these are very nuanced um, landscapes. They are a cross-section of feinbos, um, different types of feinbos, and then because there's a fair amount of coastal mist that comes through forests over the several million years probably has managed to spread um, but that's been degraded considerably because of farming and, and access to fuel wood probably um, and then over and above that in the eastern cape there is a definite need for a lot of forests particularly along the coast as well as in areas like in the Amatoli region where there's a lot of plantations happening. Um, you, know, you find there's a lot of pine and eucalyptus, and that's having a big knock-on effect into both the water table and various species like the Cape Parrot, one that um, is, makes its home in our 
our beautiful yellow woods, mm-hmm. um, which are very much in short supply at the moment. Yeah. I see. And now you keep on saying about um, that you've got partners, right? And who is partnering with you on, on all of this? I know that one of them is what Forests for Life. So Forests for Life is actually a program that we run. It's essentially where we work with forest communities. So individuals, groups, nature reserves, people that live in or on the verges of indigenous forests in southern Africa. Mm. Um, those forests include in southern Malawi, in the Blantyre region, uh, in Zambia, in the southern Zambia, in Livingston, um, and then various places in South Africa, but particularly in the Western Cape and the Eastern Cape. Yeah, we partner up with the Cape Parrot Project, uh, which is part of the Wild Bird Trust, um, and they are working with us to um, increase forest habitats in the Amatoli region. We're working with the Platbos Forest Reserve, which is in Khantsbai um, area. There we planted over 60,000 trees in partnership with them. They're essentially taking responsibility of growing the baby saplings and clearing the um, alien vegetation, making fire breaks. And we bring funds for those saplings and we bring volunteers to help plant those trees. Um, and then we're busy gearing up a partnership with sand parks at the moment mm-hmm. um, in the Southern Cape, looking to plant trees in some of the areas that were either negatively affected by the fires that came through there recently or from old pasture fields that were cut out of the forest to um, create uh, fodder for um, cows, etc. Um, and then we have a few um, communities that live up against the forest verges where we've been doing just uh, little pockets of forest uh, restoration, trying to redevelop ecotonal areas where currently or previously there's been non-Indigenous uh, vegetation, pine, eucalyptus, um, wattle, blackwoods, etc. Um, and that's kissing right up against the indigenous forest, which is problematic because when fire does come, uh, it's not a case of if, it's a case of when, um, that every time that happens, um, it makes yet another burn into the indigenous forest. Mm. And so to manage those forest verges, and to create that gentle ecotonal area um, is one of the more productive things we can do to not just support the growth of these forests to potentially where they previously were, but more about supporting the integrity of the existing forests. Mm. You know, we have these legacy forests. We have these beautiful forests that have been around for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years. And because we've introduced so many um, alien invasive species into South Africa, many of which are a heavy fuel load, they've got all sorts of oils in their leaves, in their bark, in their seed pods. And when those burn, they essentially cut fissures into our indigenous forests and slowly but surely degrade the integrity of that forest, um, which is not ideal. Mm. So we want to protect what we have. That for us is a real priority. Okay, now you're you're pretty much um, kind of more sort of in the right space to know what's happening worldwide, because I, I see we, we all see the stuff coming across social media that China has planted millions of trees, which I, I think is amazing. 
um, various places throughout Africa that they, they're going out and they're planting like hundreds of thousands of trees as often as possible. Um, do you think mm. that there has been this mind shift when it comes to what people should be doing to make sure the earth continues in a good way? Or do you think that big business is still going to win out every single time? I think there's a bit of both here. You know, the reality is that there are something like a hundred companies in the world that are creating 95% of the damage. Mm. So it very much is about the big business, but those companies are being supported by the individuals that are either investing in them, that are buying their products, that are essentially being the enablers of these types of things to continue. And so, you know, in some cases, it's very difficult for us to switch off, to have that paradigm shift, you know, getting into your vehicle and driving your kids to school. At the moment in South Africa, it's public transport is not that accessible. Mm. But in other cases, when it comes to where do you invest your money? What kinds of conversations are you willing to have at the dinner table, regardless of whether they're uncomfortable or not? which allows for us to get to the nitty gritty part of creating the shift that's needed. Mm. I see it necessary that we start a cultural revolution where from a design thinking, from the way we engage with our world, we have this evolution. We need to start seeing the world very differently. We've got this kind of extraction, take, make, break mentality. And that pretty much spans most things that we do. We need to be learning from nature. We need to see how does nature do it? Because nature does not break and then waste. Everything goes back into the system. And so we need to really have this cultural evolution that allows for us to see everything that is made, everything that's produced, every system that we create looks at the full cost looks at all the externalities, both in terms of humans, in terms of the natural systems, in terms of the energy consumed, and see how do we make it integrated in a way that both the full cost is accommodated for, and also that there's a net benefit that happens out of creating that system and not a net um, negative, which is the current status. You know, we've built things with obsolescence in, in pretty much everything that we do. Every way that our society is set up, particularly here in South Africa, is for convenience. And that convenience, I think, is a fallacy because it's a short-term convenience and it's becoming a long-term problem. Yeah. Um, and so we need to start thinking about things very differently. I would agree with that. Now, the people who are going to change that, obviously, are the youth. And I, I think that uh, getting hold of them like you've been doing, and I mean, that, this is the thing that I really want to talk about, is you are capturing the minds of kids. You've put on camps. Um, I think that older people are a little bit more resistant to change, although a lot of people are changing their way of thinking and, and getting really upset about trees and, and deforestation. But how has 2020, the year of COVID, managed to kind of stop you from getting your message across or has it actually been a bonus in some ways in a different way of thinking of how to get to speak to younger people i think time will tell with that in a way i i, I have anxiety around seeing uh, well around the conversation of young people are the future because my sense is that the future is actually now 
the responsibility we need to take for what needs to happen in the world is happening right now. And my experience of speaking to quite a few adults, and, and I don't think that this is to blame them, but just to say we need to start shifting our perspective is we can't put the responsibility on these young people. We need to start taking responsibility collectively as a global population, including everybody, to see how much can we move the needle. And sure, we need to get young people into a place of both knowing what the issue is, because I think a lot of the time we're not presenting the full truth. We are by no means in South Africa giving enough media time to the reality of climate change. Climate change is the biggest existential threat that we have on the planet today. How often do you see it in the media? Mm. Given the weight of this issue, it should be in the media every day. The solutions, the challenges, the cultural shifts that need to happen, but it's not. And that, you know, that's not something that the youth can do. The youth have they've marched for the climate the youth have done their school strikes and you know, i've been trying to get several media partners on board to help me with some of my messaging and i get limited response mm -hmm. um and so you know while obviously you're doing a great job of getting this message across when you look at mainstream media it is a dismal array of getting the bigger message across and i think this this really is across all sectors we need to start as adults being adults and starting to shift the conversation. On the young person side of things, I think what we need to do is we need to be getting a message of hope out there. Because if we don't have a message of hope, we start to allow for anxiety, climate anxiety, nature deficit disorder, because kids do not want to go spend time in nature because they're not inspired to go spend time in nature. And I think that also then breeds a sense of complacency. Yeah. So my, my mission, my mission is to really inspire young people to come and join us, not just young people, but we, one of our larger target audiences is young people to give them a reason to feel like they have hope to give them a reason to feel like there's something that they can do because a lot of the time it's hard to know like where do i begin how do i even start this journey it all seems so existential so beyond me you know you see the the message around climate change is the poles are melting how am i as a young person supposed to do something like that like yeah i could pick up some litter maybe i'll do some recycling but how am I supposed to fathom creating meaningful impact when that's the dominant narrative? It's very difficult. Even me as an adult, I'm like, wow, I mean, that's just so disconnected from the tangible nature of what's happening right here. Yeah, We need to give young people the story of there's beautiful landscapes right here in our country, and they are under threat. Mm. And you need to be aware of that. But there is something you can do about this. You know, we can go out there and we can restore these landscapes. We can go out there and we can clean up our rivers, and and we can do things right here on our in our neighbourhoods and on our doorsteps. Well, the thing is, I think that when people see, like you know, the big fires that happened in the Amazon, and they start getting their knickers in a knot about it, and people are giving money to reforestation in in the Amazon, but then. There's very little which is given kind of any attention to when the fires that were happening through the Congo were actually bigger 
than the fires in the Amazon. Mm. So people are looking at what's happening on a big scale and the big press that's being given, but we're not looking at all the small things and all of those then add up and add up and add up. So, I mean, we can all go out and buy a tree and plant a tree, but if people want to get more involved, how can they do that? I mean, how do they get hold of you and say, right, we want to put something together in our area. What do we do? Thank you. Yeah. So, so we run two kind of major events every year. One is called the Reforest Fest, where we plan to plant about 10,000 trees um, over a weekend in March. COVID goes well, and mm -hmm. we will be doing it. If it doesn't go well, we'll may have to change the dates or something to that effect. Beyond that, in June, July, we host another event called the Eden Festival of Action, which happens in the garden roots off the back of the major fires that happened there. Yeah. Um, so we host a two-week event. The first week is geared toward youth. The second week is geared toward adults. And there we do permaculture, natural building, environmental art, biomimicry, social entrepreneurship, pretty much a full spectrum, immersive sustainability event, which gives you a really lovely taster of what you could do as an individual to start your sustainability journey or to investigate new spaces within the um, sustainability journey. Another thing that people can do is we have various programs where you can raise money for trees. Um, one of those programs actually allow for you to raise money for trees and get a free access ticket to this event. Mm -hmm. So if you raise 80 trees through give and gain, those 80 trees essentially we will plant on your behalf. They cost 120 Rand each. We give you a whole kit, a pack uh, on how to raise uh, the, the trees, various creative ways, but you can also do it your own way. And then we give you a free week. Um, so that would obviously save you a bunch of money and you could take the, the campaign and go to your uncles and aunts and, and brothers and sisters and whatnot and say, instead of Christmas presents this year, I'd like to have 80 trees planted on my behalf. That's exactly what I was thinking. Because everybody says, what do you want for Christmas? And I'm like, I have everything. I really don't need any more yeah. stuff. Okay, so <laughs> please plant a tree. I mean, some people are saying, oh, I'll name a star after you. Why name a star after somebody? Name a whole bunch of trees after somebody for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's kind of the premise of it. And in, in the past, it's worked incredibly well. Um, people are very motivated to to get involved with um, our Trees for Fees program. We've raised uh, over half a million rand previously doing um, this program. So it's been a fantastic result for us. And then you also, if you're a runner, if you're a cyclist, if you're a hiker, if you, if you're an enthusiast around these types of things, we have people running marathons for us for trees. Mm. Um, we have people, um, hiking the Himalayas for trees, um, either doing independent fundraising campaigns just to say contacting us. We help you set up a platform and you use it as a mechanism to get people to raise awareness around what you're doing and around the environment, or we, have partnered up with uh, the likes of Cape Town Marathon and various other marathons where they give us tickets. Mm -hmm. And in order to receive a ticket, you can raise X amount of trees and, and we provide you with a ticket and you essentially raise raise funds for our tree planting efforts. So you're writing for a cause. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And if you are in a business and you would like to get your staff out to help us on an urban greening kind of installation day, we are happy and able to facilitate 
groups of teams, um, school groups, tourism groups, um, company groups through a fun facilitated connection day where you would connect with local community, you would help install a Feinbos waterwise garden, which also will double as an outdoor classroom for a school in the Cape Flats. Um, so if you are you know, based out in this, this side of the world, and yeah, that will be a legacy in largely an undergreened community. Mm. It's partner in partnership with a few other partners. We're partly funded by the Table Mountain Fund um, for that program and working with Ngungu and Communitary. And the idea is to, to really create these little pockets of biodiversity where insects and bird species and bees are able to find forage in amongst this urban sprawl mm. that's happened here in the Western Cape. Misha, you really are an inspiration. I tell you what, it gives me hope for the future as long as we can start changing everybody's minds. So if somebody has been listening and think, okay, my mind is changed. The half a million rand question, how do they get hold of you? <laughs> Thank you. So my recommendation is to, if you want to chat to me specifically, if you've got a big idea or if you're looking to some to do something significant, um, you're welcome to email me, Misha, M-I-S-H-A, at greenpop.org. If you have just got a general question about trees or about fundraising, um, you're welcome to email our info account, just info at greenpop.org. We also have various social media channels, um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, so if you just go onto any of those favorite platforms, of, um, just type in Green Pop and we will definitely be the first thing that pops up. Um, and if you're interested in any of those events, if you'd like to bring your family or your colleagues or your friends or your schools along, please check out Reforest Fest or Eden Festival of Action. And uh, yeah, please come and attend and help us restore beautiful landscapes uh, back to their former productive selves. It would be fantastic to get you out. Um, and Mel, it would be lovely to get you out too, um, to come and help me plant yeah. some trees. <laughs> I spent my life, I ended up without any space to plant any more trees. I think I've kind of, in my little space in Johannesburg, it is so treed up, it's ridiculous. But I, I'm still spreading the message wherever we can. And whenever anybody wants me to do anything, I'm like, okay, first thing we're doing is we're planting trees. So if you want nice. to, yeah, we've got to keep doing it. I tell you what, um, it's the most important thing, especially, I mean, we think about urban areas as being, you know, kind of really well forested, but we're going to lose our trees if we don't look after them. And that's, that's the sad mm. reality of everything. But Misha, thank you so much. Um, I hope that you're going to send me more information about how I can get schools and things up here in Johannesburg um, going on, on the greening belt, um, especially for our deforested areas um, and give it for the younger generation that haven't got as much as we have, say, in the northern suburbs. So big ups to you. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, we'll get all of those details online if you've missed any of them. And please remember, get out there, grow a tree, and above all, stay grounded. Bye-bye. You've been listening to another episode of Grounded from Solid Gold Studios in Johannesburg. For more green ideas and events, pop along to Mel's Treasures on Facebook. Facebook.